everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Reality Is. As always, it is newer. I'm riding solo today, and um, there is so much to talk about. There is so much to talk about. We're going to talk about Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. We're going to talk about Beverly Hills. I'm sure you know that I am irritated. <laughs> I am irritated watching this Beverly Hills reunion. There are so many. Uh, there are so many bad takes by white people on the internet, you guys. There's so many bad takes. There are so many bad takes. And it's just, it's very indicative of the viewership of Bravo. And like, you know, I guess I have to remind myself that, you know, these shows were not necessarily made for our best and brightest. You know, I don't think that reality TV was ever really meant to, um, it wasn't meant to hit the the best of us, right? And these are pe- these people are not the best of us. These people that we watch on these shows, but it's just really, really crazy to watch and realize that you know Bravo um, from top down, and we've known this since the Dallas fiasco happened with Tiffany Moon. Um, the Jenny stuff on Salt Lake City, you know, just a general treatment of um, the treatment of Ebony on New York. Like we know that there are no people of color probably or very few um, in the C-suites at Bravo, The ex- you know, the executives at Bravo. I don't think that we have a lot of people of color making decisions. I mean, I don't know a lot about Carlos King. I do know that he was heavily involved with Jersey and maybe Potomac. Um, I know he was involved with Atlanta, but, you know, I think that there's a very, we've always said this, there's a big difference between how Jersey's made, how Atlanta's made, how Potomac's made versus how Beverly Hills is made and how um, Salt Lake City is made and how Dallas is made. I think there's a big difference. And I think it's becoming very evident to me that there are not a lot of people of color in the places where decisions are made for those other shows. I think that they're still holding on to this other idea of what people want to see. And I, I just, I don't quite think there's like a cohesive idea. It's just, it's frustrating. I'm going to get into all of it. I'm going to talk about Beverly Hills probably for a majority of this episode. So I'm going to start with Salt Lake City first solely because there's less to talk about there and also because um, it's the one that I most recently watched. So let's talk about Salt Lake City. Um, You know, we open up on these Mormon cousins fighting with their nipples and labias out. Like it it just – the whole episode was really just, you know, bad weather falling apart, okay? (laughs) Bad weather turning into just Whitney and Heather. Um, It's very sad uh, whatever has happened to Whitney extremely sad. But um, as a person who is very therapied, I can't imagine what it's like to have your therapy journey, your your coming to terms with who you are journey on TV, right? I have no idea what that's like, but I don't think it's good for anybody to have that. Um, It's so messy. The whole thing, the whole process of like overcoming childhood trauma, coming to face, you know, terms with it, all those things. It's so complicated and 
unfortunately, television, when you watch it, is so binary for people. Like, it's good or bad. You know, people don't have a lot of nuance, especially for reality TV, that when you put that stuff on camera and you allow somebody else to edit your stories, it it's very easy for people to just want like a clean cut and dry, this is good, this is bad type of a situation. And when you're going through dealing with uh, childhood trauma, it is so complicated because n- it, because adults do terrible things, make terrible decisions, and we as children pay for it when we are adults, right? And um, and part of coming, getting over that as adults means giving some credit to the adults in the room to say, you obviously didn't know what the hell you were doing and you were trying to do the best that you can and you still fucked up anyway. But I'm going to try to come to terms with the multifaceted layers of that, you know, that thought process. And I say all this because I feel bad for Whitney. I do. I think that she is like, she's really trying to craft a storyline. She's trying to make television. She's trying to be vulnerable. She's doing, she's on a helling journey. Like she's doing all these things and she's doing it in a platform in a space that I don't necessarily think is safe for her to do these things. And it's, she's trying to craft this very complicated story during a season where you have another very complicated story. And I think it's much like we dealt with last season where some people were wanting to come for Mary and other people were trying to come for somebody else. I don't remember who, what was it about? Oh yeah. It was Lisa, right? Like it was, no, it was Meredith. It was, we're going to come for Meredith versus we're going to come for Mary, right? Those were like the two different storylines sort of. And, um, and, and then we of course got the monkey wrench in the middle of Jen Shaw getting arrested and all that stuff. But I think that just like last year, it's like Whitney's trying to come in to talk about her childhood trauma and the other women are like, no, we're just going to focus on Jen. We're just going to focus on Jen. And Meredith is on the side like, no, I'm going to drag Lisa. Like (laughs) it's, they're not connected on what they're going to talk about. And it's very much showing in a way where Whitney is unfortunately paying the price because she's getting triggered to something really dark. So in this whole episode, right, at this party, this this like lingerie trash whore party, twerk lesson party for Jen, which is, okay, I don't know how it's for Jen, but okay, um, Whitney's hammered. She's hammered. And at this point now, she and Heather are arguing about two very different things. But I'd like to go back and just make sure that we understand the thread here because I think we're losing the thread, right? The thread is that Meredith went to Whitney's house to talk shit about her ex-friend, Lisa. Whitney took the bait like she does every single year and said too much. This kind of connects to Whitney's childhood of you know, trusting people and saying too much or trusting people and not just like feeling safe around everybody. And then unfortunately saying too much or not being able to like just fucking herself over. Right. Um, and again, this is all saying that I don't really know what happened in Whitney's past because we're not quite getting that, but Whitney has a difficult time knowing where to 
draw the line in what she tells people happens every single year, right? When all this comes up at the dinner, Meredith says, no, I I did not say the stuff about Lisa and the jazz tickets and the blowjobs and all that, right? And Heather's like, Whitney, you said that Meredith is the one that told you. And now Whitney feels betrayed because she remembers something completely different. Whitney feels betrayed because, number one, she feels like she trusted Meredith and Meredith threw her under the bus. Then number two, she trusted Heather to have her back because she thought that Heather knew the same information as her. Whitney, again, too drunk to know what's happening right now. That's when Whitney feels betrayed and then all of this is coming up because she thinks that Heather was there when the information was given by Angie and all that stuff. Whitney in this whole situation is just triggered by something else. In these situations, she trusted Meredith to be sort of the older woman who she could go to about information. She thought that everybody was on her page and then she gets betrayed by Meredith who is like not really her friend anyway, so it's fine. But in with with Heather, Whitney is has given Heather a role that Heather's like, I didn't sign up for this role, right? Like Whitney has now placed Heather in a box of authority, maybe a person of trust, maybe somebody like a parent when she was growing up or somebody at the church when she was growing up. And, uh, or I, I feel like the comparison I can make is Whitney's kind of alluded to there being some sort of abuse uh, through the church, maybe through her parents. And I think what I am assuming, and I don't know, but what I'm assuming is something happened to Whitney and maybe her family members at the church. She then went to her family, her parents, and they didn't believe her, or they just told her to shut it down and they told her, forget that it ever happened, right? The comparison here is that Whitney heard something about Lisa at this basketball game she told Heather and she thought Heather knew the truth. So she used Heather as sort of her her witness. Heather then says, no, that never happened. You're misremembering it. That's not true. You're making this about yourself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Heather is, I mean, Whitney is just, you know, she's taking a, a situation and just kind of replacing the players and applying the same feelings. And that's the shit that happens when you are unpacking your trauma, but you haven't quite placed it in its necessary compartments, right? And it's unfortunate. This is why I say it's unfortunate that Whitney is having this whole journey play out on TV because it's so messy and it's so sad. Like, it's just, she's not, uh, God, like I feel bad for her, cause, but she's just like not smart enough to deal with this. Like she doesn't have the right amount of support. She's she's kind of a disaster. Like I said it last week, somebody said that Whitney is not a pot stirrer. She's a blender without the lid on. She's a mess. And I feel bad because it doesn't mean that what Whitney heard is a lie or what Whitney is saying is a lie. All it means is that Whitney it has sort of fallen back to this idea of I keep telling people my truth and somebody keeps telling me that I'm misremembering it because I'm not a reliable person to trust my own judgment. It's very sad and it's very dark. I think what also so I so Whitney is essentially misplacing her childhood trauma with Heather. I will say is Heather's an asshole. Heather's an asshole, but I think Heather's also tired of it. 
Heather's an asshole because she's still trying to make a television show and Whitney is trying to use this television show to heal herself. There's two very different ideas of what the job or the assignment is here. So Heather throwing Whitney's trauma in her face saying, Jen's got real problems and you're trying to talk about something else. That's fucked up because Whitney also has real problems that maybe Whitney should deal with separately, but Heather's being an asshole about it, okay? It's a mess. What is really funny is that <laughs> as they keep trying to deal with this, they keep bringing up blowjobs and jazz tickets until we step Barlow's like, can you guys stop saying it? <laughs> with, with not a tear in sight, but, you know, I don't know. Botox faces, I guess, move differently. But I just, I don't know. The whole thing is messy. It's sad. It's hard to watch. It is compelling television. It's enough that, um, you know, I guess not, nothing's been resolved, but it's now, you know, I think Whitney wants Heather to have some sympathy and give her some grace. And maybe Heather has given it before, but I know Heather probably hasn't because Heather has herself a history of kind of being a mean girl, right? She wants to be popular. She wants to be liked, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Her Mormon judgy background. I mean, you don't, if you're judgmental as a Mormon, you kind of become judgmental as a bad Mormon too. So if you're a judgy person, you're just judgy. And I feel like Heather is. Um, but I think the only thing Heather really cares about is making a television show that is fun and uh, crafting a different type of show than these women. And it's becoming kind of sad because it's coming at a cost of her relationship with Whitney. Because I guess at BravoCon, only the four women were there. Jen Shaw was not invited to BravoCon. She was not paid by Bravo for BravoCon. And Bravo, Andy said that he ended ties with her with her after she pled guilty. So it's interesting to see all of these women talk about Jen um, and her trial and what this means between her and Stuart and all that stuff. Um, because obviously, once she pleads guilty, it's done. These women don't even associate with her at the convention itself. So I don't know. It's interesting to see how that's going to play out. But um, I guess RIP bad weather because they're still fighting. The girls are still fighting. All the panels at BravoCon show them still fighting. And unfortunately, Whitney still having a difficult time with those words, putting them together, making her point. <laughs> Very sad. Um, okay, I'm going to take a quick break. We will be back to talk about Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Guys, just get some coffee, do something, because it's going to be a long one, okay? Okay, we're back. Let's talk about Real Housewives of uh, Beverly Hills. Reunion part two. <sighs> Guys, I need an Advil. I need water. I need coffee. I need a morphine drip. I don't know what I need to continue to watch the show. It is sad and it is difficult to watch um, because like I said about how the show is produced versus other shows, I just – it's hard. It's hard to watch. Okay, well, 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 let's just get into it. We open back up on Diana's dumb fucking Zoom, okay, and Garcelle is just asking Diana to leave her the hell alone, which I agree but we have this stupid argument of what is worse, the word cunt or the word evil. And I'm just shocked. I'm shocked, number one, that I agree with Andy Cohen about anything. But two, that these women are saying that the word cunt is less 
worse than evil. Evil is a bad word. You can't even say cunt. You guys keep calling it the C word. So I feel like that in itself is indicative of what's the worst word. And also we've seen seasons upon seasons of you guys gasping and clutching your pearls. First when Erica shows up and calls herself cunty. And every time Brandy called you guys cunts. Like, this is ridiculous. All this really shows me is that money is the only thing that these women care about, the Fox 4 flapper, whoever they are. That's all they care about because that's the only reason that they're so uh, coming so hard uh, in support of Diana. It's crazy. You know, Diana keeps blaming Garcelle for what Sutton says, which is ridiculous. It's like she doesn't separate the two people. She's not – and it's so offensive because it kind of – it takes away Garcelle as a person, right? Like you're only associating me with the white person that I'm friends with. You're not identifying me as an individual black woman who is very different than Sutton. And and, and it's frustrating to watch that. Um, Diana's lawsuits against John Doe to figure out who the bots are. I mean, it's ridiculous because Garcelle is absolutely right. You're sitting here and you're saying, oh, no one deserves to do this to you and have this done to your son. Like no one deserves the way that your son and you have been treated on social media. Nobody should would ever do that to your sweetheart son. But at the same time, Diana, you are actively posting shit about Garcelle on a regular basis to a point where you're sitting here and you're arguing whether or not evil is a worse word than cunt. You're, you're actively anti-Garcelle. But And you're posting about it on social media and then you're wondering why your supporters, whether they're bots or real people, are going after Garcelle and her son. How can you, how can you say the, both? The, this lawsuit is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And no one is speaking up and no one is backing Garcelle up. And apparently and Sutton says that she did, but it was just edited out. Um, I don't know why Bravo would continue to show Garcelle kind of on an island by herself. It's just, it's so weird. And I do want to bring up one thing. I know Sutton has said I did speak up for her, but not enough. I haven't heard Crystal say the same. And I want to bring this up because I thought about it last week after the episode. I, I finished talking about it on the episode, but I didn't mention it. And then I thought about it later or whatever. And it's been coming up in my mind a lot. But I'm wondering why Crystal hasn't spoken like spoken up for Garcelle, you know, like Crystal, why are you quiet in the situation with Diana? Like, what does Diana have on you that you are not speaking the fuck up? And I like Crystal. I do like Crystal. And I'm going to talk about Crystal a lot, especially towards the end of this reunion episode, but I, I like her, but like Crystal not liking Sutton for the shit she said on camera, which was yes, very dark and very problematic. But then being silent here in a conversation against Diana doesn't make sense. Like, yes, we know that she talked to Diana about the black content creator stuff, but it's just very weird that Crystal has gone on record multiple times to say the two people she is closest to from the cast are Diana and Sutton. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. It, it, It doesn't make sense to me on multiple levels. Like one it doesn't make sense why these women continue to harp on what Crystal and Sutton's relationship is and why Crystal is so quick to forgive Sutton and all that stuff. It doesn't make sense to me why they're harping on that when obviously Crystal's friends with Diana, who is far more problematic than Sutton. 
So why are you surprised that Crystal would then be friends with Sut? Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And it's not like Crystal hasn't called Diana out on her problematic stuff. Like we saw it on social media. We saw her talk about it right now. But it's just, I just don't understand why she's quiet here. And it makes me weary and of, it makes me confused. It makes me confused. And I also want to say that talking about like, oh, Diana says things and she doesn't understand because English is in her first language. That's bullshit. Okay. Diana's a lady who's sitting around being like, oh, I don't know what it's like to shop in a store because I've been rich for so long. So you're claiming not understanding retail, but you're also claiming that you don't understand basic English words. Like which one is it? Are you so evolved as a fancy rich woman that you you have completely lost touch with what how normal people shop? Are you so evolved in that way, but then also you don't understand English? I don't understand it. Like get fucking real. Okay, get real. You cannot be smart and stupid. Also, fuck you, Diana. Get off my screen. I'm so glad that she like just came and left. I'm so glad they didn't keep her on extended. It's so weird that Andy's like, thanks for rallying, rallying, rallying with us. She's perfectly fine, okay? This lady just didn't want to get chewed out. That's why she has COVID. Get out of here. Anyway, we get this like, the Zoom ends, we get this like off-camera lunch hour footage. Erica and Rena are talking about how there's such division in the group because Garcelle believes that somebody in the group bought bots. <laughs> bought bots. So like now suddenly the focus isn't that, isn't it sad that Garcelle feels left out? No. The focus is how dare Garcelle incite division in the group by saying that she feels left out. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing that they're focusing on is like if Garcelle didn't say anything about feeling left out in the group, then the trolls wouldn't win. No, Garcelle feels left out of the group regardless of the trolls, babes. What are you guys talking about? I, of course, they're t- first of all, that whole Chris, uh, Erica and Rena sitting down is so fake. It's so fake. It's the fakest thing I've ever seen. Then there's this like conversation between Kyle and Doree where they're continuing to not understand where Crystal is coming from. And then even Sutton, same Garcelle and saying, you know, I'm so glad that Crystal said I'm not racist. It's a long time coming. These two things just tell me that the only thing these women are worried about is being labeled racist, okay? Especially because we know that the 14 friends that Kyle also knows that dropped Crystal, the shit that we saw in Mexico also about Crystal calls people out on their problematic behavior and tries to cancel people, like, so these 14 women don't talk to her anymore. All that stuff, all it's rooted in is the fear that these women have of being canceled. These women have a fear about being canceled by being called racist instead of caring about how their actions, if they're racist or not, purposely or not, microaggression or not, impact women of color. All they care about is being worried that they are going to be called racist. It's all they care about. They don't care about the fact that their actions as white women may impact women of color in a certain way. They don't care about the viewers that are people of color that might be triggered by the way that they behave. They don't care about any of that. All they care about is the fact that somebody might call them a racist. 
Like they're not worried about any of the work that happens after you're called racist or after you're called problematic. No, they're only worried about if I get called racist, then I might lose my job. And I get it that that is a legit fear, but like, how about you just don't be racist? I said this last week. Don't be racist. If you don't want to be called racist, don't be racist, okay? And that the conversations that they have during the break, Kyle saying, oh, Crystal, you know, really is trying to make something out of nothing, all that shit. She doesn't know what she's talking about, all that stuff. It's bullshit. And it's bullshit because right after this, we cut into a Kyle package that I don't give a shit about, okay? <laughs> Garcelle said, don't be like Kyle. Nobody should be like Kyle. Kyle's the worst. I don't care for Mauricio and PK lusting over their friends, their wives' friends. It's fucking weird. I think the story about PK approaching Erica is weird. I like I don't care for any of it. I don't think PK and Mauricio are charming. Like everybody acts like they're the cutest little bromance, but I don't care about them. I don't care about them. I'm not gonna lie, I don't mind PK, weirdly. I don't care about Mauricio. He's high out of his mind whenever he's filming. He doesn't give a shit. It's just, it's so weird. He's never said anything great on the show. I've never seen him say anything reasonable on the show. Mauricio's never done anything that would make me be like, oh, wow, he's so cool. Or he's so, what is his value? I'm not sure. Besides the fact that some people want to lust after him. Okay. I guess. There was some shit at BravoCon with Erica saying that PK and Dorit are probably going to be the next couple to get divorced or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. I feel like it was all kind of weird and made up. I don't know if they're actually fighting or not. But them also, her also bringing up this thing about Erica, uh, Erica also bringing up this thing about PK calling her a porn star is weird to come out on camera now. Like, how did you not mention it when you guys were in a fight about him looking up your underwear or whatever, or looking up your skirt. How is this just coming up now? It's bizarre. But anyway, we go to a Garcelle package and it's about Birkins and her beach house and her book and her overall journey. And I want to talk a little bit about the story she shares about Bill Cosby. And she talks about it in her book about how she was a guest on The Cosby Show. She was invited by Bill Cosby to a party or his apartment or something. She drank something. She felt uncomfortable and she left right away. She went with her gut and that's the name of the title is Go With Your Gut. And Rena's all like, oh, I have goosebumps, blah, 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 all this stuff. But then we go over to this thing about Erica throwing away Rinna's book, and then it comes out, actually, it was Rinna that threw away Garcelle's book. And the reason why Rinna threw away Garcelle's book is because of something that came up on the show. So Garcelle talked about something that came up on the television show, because we know that when this came up, when this whole thing came up about Garcelle asking Rinna, do you think that you dancing half naked on Instagram has anything to do with your daughter's body dysmorphia, we know, unfortunately, because those of us who follow like the off-camera shit, we know that there was like a cut scene that Bravo never showed, never clarified. They continue to let this fester into a different story at the reunion, I think last year or the year before, where Rena continued to be like, how dare Garcelle say this, this, and this and blame me for my daughter's, you know, body dysmorphia. She doesn't have a right to talk about my body dysmorphia. But we know that that scene is in context is actually Garcelle trying to relate to Rena because she says, I worry that how I am, 
you know, as a celebrity or as an actor is the reason why my son Oliver had substance abuse issues. She's trying to say, I sometimes blame myself for why my son has issues. Do you ever feel the same way about yourself with your daughter? That's what Garcelle is saying. We never got to see that fully on the main show. I think it was a cut scene. So in the book, Garcelle is clarifying that. And again, Rinna, instead of ever noting that, ever talking about it, all she can say is, you're not allowed to talk about my daughter. So she throws away Garcelle's book. Then Garcelle's like, yeah, you know what? We talked about it. Our lawyers talked and there's going to be an addition and the section is removed. So Rinna is so held up about her daughter's name that she is not helping Garcelle at all to say, I get it, Garcelle, you were trying to clarify what was shown on the show versus what actually happened. She never does that for Garcelle. This is her one of her oldest friends, right? Just like Denise was. This is all Rinna cares about is what is literally shown on the show and when her children or her name is brought up, even though... Rina's the one that brought up the stuff about Amelia's eating disorder. She's the one that has paraded her daughter dating gross-ass Scott Disick. Like, I, I, I just, I can't with Rina. But they go through this, and they all say, like, Garcelle says, yeah, I heard you guys were snickering in a text thread that, you, that we're not on about Rina throwing away the book. And they're like, no, we weren't laughing about it. But then at the end of the segment, when they cut to commercial, we're talking about Erica's recycling and Rinna's recycling and we're laughing about it. And we're now snickering. We are just, you guys deny that you were snickering about it, but well, we see you still snickering about it while Garcelle is sitting there. And she's just shared the story about Bill Cosby that she wrote about in her book. And instead of being like, wow, that is disrespectful that you guys took a book that Garcelle poured her heart into, where she told these really sad stories that she'd never shared with anybody before, you guys took that book and you put it into the garbage. How disrespectful is that? Instead of that, we're talking about how Rena doesn't recycle. She's like, oh, yeah, she got so much shit for recycling. That's when I really felt bad. Oh, okay. Not for trashing this immigrant black woman's book. And, like, just seeing Garcelle's face there and and Andy, like, laughing about it, it's just so fucking weird. It's so – it's so uncomfortable. It is like you work you work at a place and you have a, you have a, a project that you work on. You work on a project and you pour your life and your heart into that project for that job, right? And somebody, one of your coworkers, takes that project – and deletes it. And uh, your boss says, hey, did you delete that? And then you go, oh, actually, it wasn't me. It was our other coworker that deleted it. And instead of talking about the fact that somebody deleted your project, your boss is sitting there and laughing about how y'all blamed each other for deleting a project. And you have to sit there and watch it. You, your boss is not telling you, um, telling them it's wrong. He's not talking about how fucked up it is. He's asking about what else you have on your hard drive that you deleted. <laughs> how do you how <laughs> how's your how's your file management system? 
That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the fact that they deleted your work. That's fucking hurtful. That is fucked up. And you have to sit there and watch them joke about it. It's Andy, this entire reunion, somebody said on Twitter he's about to have a downfall like Ellen. And I mean, I believe it. I believe it. I, f- I feel like we're we're getting close to where Andy is not equipped to have these conversations. I think Andy does great at reunions, like say for Jersey or whatever. But like the more and more these dynamics come up, the more and more you diversify casts, the the le- the more evident it is that Andy is not equipped to host reunions where race and these things come up. We saw it with Dallas. We're seeing it again here. It's probably why they canceled the Roni reunion. It's absurd. Um, We go into this Rinna's anger segment, and I don't know what to make of it. Like, yeah, I feel bad for her that obviously her mother died. I enjoyed Lois on the show, all that stuff. But I also think it's important to note that she's like, oh, yeah, my mom never talked to me about my behavior on the show. Well, that says a lot. (laughs) That says a lot. You know, your mom never talked to you about how shitty you were on the show. She's like, oh, my mom never made me feel less than. Okay, that's great, I guess. But like she never told you to get your shit together and stop being an asshole. Okay, that says a lot about who you are as a person today. We go on to the Satin segment about her being a liability, being clunky with words, you know, the miscarriage conversation comes up with Diana. One of the things that is pointed out is that Kyle doesn't take any accountability for how physical she gets with Sutton. Because in the situation, Kyle's like, oh, that's just the way I am. You know, it's the same way like Erica didn't take any accountability for the horrific comments she made to Crystal, who has an eating disorder. And she's just like, oh, this is just who I am. I just, you know, I come from what did she say? A dance studio? So this is just like how we feel about our bodies? She's like, oh, this is just who I am, Sutton. You know, I'm not aggressive. And Sutton's like, no, you were pretty aggressive. You put, And she kind of looks at her like, oh, don't be ridiculous. Shut the hell up, Kyle. Shut the hell up. They say Sutton makes things about herself as if we didn't just see last episode where uh, during a package about Dorit's break-in, Kyle made it about herself. Get get real. I, I do want to say when Garcelle says, yeah, I think Sutton does make things about herself, the shit-eating grin on Dorit and Erica's face is is really something. The liability argument comes up about, like, is Sutton a liability? And it honestly is just a conversation about loyalties and friendship. And Crystal calls it out clearly. You guys have a double standard. You have a double standard about how loyal you are to each other Versus Sutton being, Garcelle being loyal to Sutton. It's a very immature way of looking at relationships that the the Erica and Rena and Kyle have. It's just, it's very clear that they haven't ever unpacked their shit from like high school and they still navigate the world as adult women in their advanced age, well into close to 50, like they are 14 year old girls. It's real fucking weird. You know, the Lisa versus Sutton thing comes up and yeah, is is Sutton Lisa's punching baggage bag? Of course she is. Lisa says, oh, I had a rough season, Sutton. But she doesn't really apologize until Sutton says like, I'm going to need you to apologize. 
But I just want to point something out. There is no fuel that is stronger for Lisa Rinna's fires than Lisa Rinna having to apologize or be made embarrassed on a show with someone. Okay? Like, the way that Lisa Rinna is going to come after Sutton next year, it's going to be much more brutal than anything we've ever seen if Lisa Rinna still has her job. Because Lisa Rinna's face of her having to apologize to Sutton after Sutton demands it in a room full of their peers and their boss, oof, Rinna's going to murder her. She is. Um, then we go to Lisa Rinna's social media and – Somehow we're all having a laugh, guys. We're all having a laugh about how impulsive she is. Guys, it's so funny. It's so funny. Lisa Rinna is so funny and how impulsive and crazy she is. Oh, my God. It's so great. But we're going to rake Sutton over the coals for unfollowing people? Are you guys fucking real? It's ridiculous you're gonna murder Sutton over a little silly shade on watch what happens live like when Lisa's microaggressions are called out Garcelle again has to explain to these people how microaggressions work right like this it's I said this last year I think when they were in like Aspen or something I don't know where they were but they have that conversation around the table and Dorit says something to Garcelle. Like Garcelle's like, you know, we're not equal. We're not equal. And so we do have to speak about things differently, like black and, and white people. And Sutton's or um, Dorit is like, oh, why are we not equal? It's like these women, they can put as much BLM and black squares and donate to whoever, but they don't actually care. Like, again, Crystal is right. These women just do not want to get in trouble. They don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to get canceled. So they're doing all the things that you have to do, checking off the boxes to not get canceled, but they're not actually doing any of the work. Garcelle has to explain to these people how microaggressions work, and Lisa's acting like she doesn't understand how microaggressions work. And they're all, again, having a laugh over it. But Garcelle says again, like, you don't realize what the impact of your words are for me as a black person or for people of color who are viewing and consuming this, but it's a microaggression. Yes, you're not blatantly racist, but it is a microaggression. And and Lisa's like, oh, okay. She's like, the impact of your words, your intentions, it's intentions versus impact, right? And when it comes to race, you have to think about the impact even if it's unintentional, you have to think about the impact of your words on a platform like this, with social media like yours, with with the attention you have on people. You have to think about the impact of your words. And it's crazy because Lisa Rinna is like so anti-Trump, right? But she's so Trump-like when she navigates social media, especially Real Houses of Beverly Hills. She doesn't think anything that she does is wrong. She has no – she suddenly acts like she has no idea how she incites hate, how Diana's posts incite racism. Like they don't understand any of it when it comes to their own circles, but they feel like Trump and all these other people, They it's, it's bizarre because they understand it when it comes to politics. They understand when it comes to politicians, but they don't understand it within their own circle, and it's very fucking confusing. But this is when – Crystal says, yes, this is exactly how I felt in my conversation with Sutton. I know that she isn't racist, but it's the impact 
that I felt. And Kyle, of course, has to use this again and pop up because she's an asshole. Kyle is an asshole. I've said this a million times throughout this podcast. Kyle's an asshole. If everybody found a clip, if they made a smash cut of me saying Kyle's an asshole through these over 200 episodes that I've ever done of the show, I it would be at least 90 minutes of me just saying Kyle's an asshole because Kyle's an asshole. But Crystal says, you know, it, like she says to Kyle, it doesn't have to be clean and you cannot – you have to stop making this about you because essentially what Crystal's saying, this is what I mean about Sutton. I know that she wasn't racist, but I was just trying to explain the impact of what she said and how it felt to me and how I experienced the words that she said because I didn't know her, but this is how I felt. And Kyle tries to jump on that because Kyle understands why what she said to Garcelle about the donations was wrong because she explained it to her. But Kyle doesn't understand because Crystal's not good at explaining that to her. But frankly, it's not Crystal's job to have to explain it to these white women. It's upsets me because like when Crystal says, yeah, it doesn't have to be clean. It doesn't have to be a clean situation and you have to stop making it about you and how you understand it. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because you didn't experience it doesn't mean it didn't happen. And I love the way Crystal jumps on her and tells her to basically shut the fuck up. I will say Andy, again, doesn't help at all. Andy doesn't help at all. Dorit sitting there and saying, do you think anyone here is racist is insane. It's an insane thing. Like if I was asked, maybe I would. I mean, maybe this is like a lesson for me. Maybe if I sat in a room full of problematic people and they somebody said, do you think that so-and-so is racist? I would probably say yes. I think maybe it is important to start calling people out because guess what? We're all a little bit racist. We're all a little bit problematic. We all have some sort of um, prejudice inside of all of us. We all have preconceived notions about people. What's important is for us to recognize it and figure out how to do the work to undo our biases. That is the point. That's the point, Yolanda, okay? But it's insane that you would put two people, a black woman and an Asian woman, on the spot like this. I hated it so much. Because again, you're being asked this right after you have to sit in a meeting where your boss is key-keying over people trashing your life's work. And now you're being asked, do you think that these people are racist? What are you supposed to say? No, I just think they're evil. <gasps> Ooh, I can't say that. Can't say that. That's a very bad word for me to say. Oh, my God. It's so bad. But I want to use this moment to talk about the dynamic between Crystal and Garcelle because I think it is very interesting. So as an Asian person, person as, a, as a South Asian person, I am fully aware that People who look like me benefit from the work of Black people, okay? When Black people speak up about systemic racism, people who look like me benefit from it. Asians, South Asians, Latino, immigrants in general, all people of color have benefited from the work of Black people. When Black people ask for their rights, we kind of get umbrellaed in. Similarly, because we don't look like black people, we also benefit from that, right? That is where the model minority myth comes in, all of that. I think 
a lot of question has been like, why isn't Garcelle and Crystal, like, why aren't they really speaking up for each other? But I think one reason why Garcelle isn't speaking up for Crystal is because when Crystal tries to connect the dots, her experience with Kyle and these other women is her own. And what I'm trying to say is Crystal's experience is vastly different from Garcelle's experience as a black woman. Like, like I've said a lot, I like Crystal a lot, okay? But Crystal is a woman of color, but she's also a, a, a young woman of color with great privileges that Garcelle has had to work very, very hard to get because the world is much more difficult for black people than it is for Asian people. That's not to say that the world is not hard for Asian people because we've seen it. But the world is we know the world is the most difficult for black people, but specifically for black women. Okay. So in this situation, you know, Crystal's had multiple opportunities to explain her side. When they don't get it, she uses Garcelle's explanation to explain her feelings. I think what we're seeing here is a black woman is doing the work very clearly to explain to these white women where microaggressions are showing up. And these white women can understand it very clearly because one, Garcelle is a black woman, and two, because they, I think, like Crystal said, they don't want to get in trouble, but also because they understand, they're starting to understand that systemic racism, microaggressions, how that impacts black people and black women. They don't quite understand Crystal piggybacking off of that, okay? They don't understand, and I think Garcelle doesn't understand it either because Garcelle's like, nah, it's not really the same for you, Crystal. And it's unfortunate because ultimately what I see here is just like two people who want to understand but don't understand how they are all connected. Like I said, when black women do the work, Asian people benefit from it. So we kind of piggyback off of it, which is a little problematic. But we benefit from it, right? So we can piggyback off of that. What white people see, though, is is not quite that. And I think even for black people, it's not quite that. Like I, as an Asian person, already benefit and I'm, I benefit from different privileges that are not allowed to black people. So it's kind of uncomfortable and I think it's kind of preposterous to black people to be like, you are already coming from a place of privilege. So how are you going to piggyback of my feelings as a black woman? It's a complicated sort of like this world that, you know, Asian minorities sit in of we benefit from some white stuff and we benefit from black stuff. We also are discriminated against because of our proximity to blackness. We're also privileged because of our proximity to whiteness. And I think that these women in this show do not understand that at all. But I think it's also unfortunate because Crystal is bad at explaining that. It's not easy to explain those things. It's not easy to have to, to do that. And I think that she's kind of piggybacking off of what Garcelle's explanation was to explain her feelings. And it's hard for Garcelle to allow that. And it's hard for the white women to accept it, even though, like I said, it's all connected, right? I think the problem is that we as Asian people, as non-Black people of color, 
we can't keep piggybacking off of black women and their work, right? I, I get what I get what Crystal's doing. I think she's well-intentioned. But like I said, number one, these women are morons. But number two, you have to figure out how to speak for your own experience, Crystal. And you have to – I think her screaming at Kyle is important because I think that's like part of doing the work is you have to make people uncomfortable and you have to get a little bit uncomfortable yourself. And I think it's difficult because she's Asian and us Asian people are kind of like we keep our feelings to ourselves. We're raised not to talk about our feelings. So a lot of it is going to come with being uncomfortable and speaking up and all of that. Like these women don't understand how racism can impact both black and Asian women the same, especially because they see Crystal as all they see Crystal as is a young wife of a rich man. That's all they see. With Garcelle, they see more of a story, right? She's black. She's Haitian. She's an immigrant. She's worked hard. She's worked hard in the industry all these years. You know, all this stuff. But it's difficult for them to understand that racism impacts Asians and black people similarly. And privilege is allowed to black people and and privilege is allowed to Asian people and white people similarly. So being able to kind of pass parse through those nuances is too complicated for this stage. It's not going to happen here and not with these people. It's not, unfortunately. I also think that the thread, we like have to remind everyone what the thread is of how we got here. Okay, Garcelle called Crystal a race baiter in the beginning of the season. She said, regardless of what Sutton said, Crystal would have jumped on her anyway. And Crystal said, no, other things were said that were very dark. It wasn't just, I don't see color. Other things were also said, and it's not worth repeating because Sutton and I are past it. That's it. And while I understand that Garcelle has the right to say, wait a minute, I'm friends with this person. Is she actually racist? The other women in the room, they just found an opening. The other women, all the other ladies, the Fox 4 flop found an opening to cause division in this group of three women that were like in an was LA Times and New York Times article. That's all they saw. They saw a division. They saw a disagreement and they pounced on it. Now, when Crystal is asked at Watch What Happens Live, if it was the pool comment, Crystal says, no, it was something else. She never said it was one comment. She just said it was something else. So... She said it was something else and it was dark. What she's saying now is it wasn't necessarily a comment. It was the overall feeling. And these women keep showing flashbacks and all this stuff of you said something specifically, you said something. She didn't say something specifically. But I think Crystal, because she is an Asian woman who has benefited from the privileges of her proximity to whiteness, has not had to explain the feelings, the impact of racism, of microaggression. She's not had to do that before. So she's not well-equipped to have these conversations and she's not well-equipped to explain it. So when she finds an end to piggyback off of what Garcelle is saying, she tries that. But these women don't understand. They don't understand because all they're seeing is her proximity to privilege as a rich woman who is not black. That's the situation. You know, again, Crystal is saying it's not about a comment. It's about a feeling. 
Sutton's overall words, her, her words left me overall feeling like she was a problematic person and it has been squashed. Kyle doesn't understand it because Kyle is saying, I said one thing, Garcelle clocked me for that one thing and it's different. And Andy even says it's very different. He understands that it's two different situations. But again, Andy's not well equipped to have these conversations because he doesn't understand the privileges that non-Black people of color have to whiteness and the racism that um, sorry, the privileges that non-Black Asian people have because of their proximity to whiteness and the racism that non-Black Asian people, non-Black, I'm going to start over. Andy doesn't understand, and I don't think the stage understands, a lot of people don't understand, the privileges that non-Black people of color have to with their proximity to whiteness. And they also don't understand the racism that non-black people of color have because of their proximity to blackness. So this is too nuanced and too complicated for Crystal to have to explain to them. She's not well-equipped. Andy is not well-equipped. And Garcelle is frankly tired of it. She doesn't have to explain it. She doesn't have to fight Crystal's battle. She doesn't. She's doing the work for herself. That's more than enough. Black women have more than enough work to explain it to themselves. Kyle made a comment. Garcelle explained to her that while it isn't intentional to speak about Garcelle's race, it was a microaggression. The The reason why these women are having a hard time is because Garcelle, Crystal is not giving them the one word or one instant that she said, that Sutton said, that was a microaggression. But honestly, does Crystal have to do that? We have an entire season last year of Sutton being problematic and Sutton being racist. Crystal shouldn't have to explain what one word or one sentence was said that should prove that she's not a race baiter. She's not. Sutton said and acted and behaved in a way that a racist woman behaves. And so for her to be called a race baiter by Garcelle in the beginning to begin with is the problem. But we can't say that. It's too complicated. But the bottom line is, Kyle's an asshole and she can go fuck herself. And Andy's bad at this. That's it. <laughs> That's the end of that. Um, the end of this reunion was just Kathy Hilton rolling in and making everybody so nervous. So nervous. We get Rena muttering around and Sutton's nervous. Everybody's nervous. People are stretching. They're cracking their backs. They're waiting for something. And it makes me wonder, are you guys nervous that you're going to accidentally tell on Kathy? Or are you excited that Rena is going to get chewed out? What is going to happen here? But they're really, they're gassing it up. Is next week the last episode of this? I don't know. But, um, but yeah, okay. Well, I talked a lot. I hope I made some sense. Um, Love to hear your thoughts about all this. Uh, and and yeah, so I will be back. Uh, next episode is going to be Monday episode where we talk about pop culture, sports, science, math, <laughs> math. There's no math. I can't math. Sports, world, politics, pop culture on Monday with my brother Rahil. Then on Wednesday, I will be back with the Real Housewives of Potomac recap with uh, Married to Medicine reunion part one. And, um, and if you are following me on the Patreon, then we will have House of the Dragon season finale recap 
um, to you on Monday night. And um, I will be on Kendrick, uh, Reality and Comics 2 podcast to also talk about House of the Dragon. So check me out there. And um, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye.